Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Saturday, the 7th of November. India's COVID-19 tally crossed the 84.5 lakh or 8.45 million mark today. The daily fresh cases nationwide reached the 50,000 mark once again, while about 500 new fatalities were reported. Around 54,000 people were declared to have recovered yesterday and the total number of active cases in the country came down to a little over 5 lakhs. Now for an update on the nationwide testing numbers. The Indian Council of Medical Research or the ICMR reported yesterday that a total of over 11 crore 65 lakh samples were tested for COVID-19 up to yesterday. Of these, around 11 lakh people were tested yesterday. Delhi has become the top contributor to the national tally for the first time ahead of Kerala and Maharashtra. The national capital breached the 7,000 mark in daily cases for the first time. Delhi's COVID tally now stands at a little over 4.2 lakh cases. The crunch for COVID ICU beds is now being felt by the government medical facilities as well. Earlier, COVID beds were almost at full occupancy at major private hospitals in the capital. In this regard, Delhi Health Minister Satyendra Jain said, and I quote, Delhi government has also added 500 new COVID-19 beds, including 110 ICU beds in the government hospitals across the national capital. In private hospitals, 685 more beds have been added. Delhi government has also filed a special leave petition in the Supreme Court to address the High Court's overturn of our mandate to reserve 80% beds as ICU beds in private hospitals. Unquote. Niti Aayog member VK Paul has said that when the coronavirus vaccine arrives, healthcare and frontline workers would receive it on a priority basis. He said, and I quote, The vaccine against the novel coronavirus, when it arrives, will be prioritised on the principle of protecting the health system and the pandemic control system, along with those who have excessive risk of mortality. Unquote. The Prime Minister, while speaking at the 51st Convocation of the Indian Institutes of Technology, said, and I quote again, COVID-19 pandemic has taught us a lot. It has taught us that globalization is essential, but at the same time, self-reliance is equally important. Unquote. He also added that technology had played the most significant role amid the pandemic and that it had changed the way things were being conducted today. He said, and I quote, virtual reality is becoming a working reality now. Unquote. COVID-19 cases among teachers and students were reported in at least two states that reopened schools recently, namely Andhra Pradesh and Uttarakhand. This raised fresh concerns amongst parents and administrators. In Uttarakhand, where classes for 10th and 12th grade restarted this Monday, over 80 teachers in 20 government schools in Pori Garwal district tested positive for the virus. Meanwhile, other states are also contemplating whether to restart physical classes or not. Maharashtra said yesterday that it was considering starting physical classes in schools from November 23rd. Odisha, meanwhile, has put on hold an earlier decision to reopen schools after 15th of November and all schools in the state will remain closed till 31st of December this year. Gujarat has said that it is preparing a standard operating procedure for physical classes in senior grades from 18th of November. Moving on, the Delhi government and the Ministry of Home Affairs have granted sanction to prosecute former JNU student leader Umar Khalid and PhD scholar Sharjil Imam under the stringent Unlawful Activities Prevention Act or the UAPA. This is in connection with a case related to the February communal violence in northeast Delhi. A spokesperson of the Delhi government was quoted as saying that the development had been purely procedural. 
The Aam Aadmi Party government said, and I quote, the law department has given its legal opinion after due diligence to the home department of Delhi government. The elected government has no role to play in this. Delhi government has not stopped prosecution in any case in the last five years, including those pertaining to Aam Aadmi Party MLAs and party leaders, unquote. Umar Khalid and Sharjil Imam were arrested by the police in cases under sections of the UAPA on September 14th and August 25th this year respectively. An official of the police said that the two could now be named in the Delhi Police's supplementary charge sheet. The charge sheet has so far named 15 activists including Pinjra Tors Devangana Kalita and Ritasha Narwal, former DU Gulfisha and Jamia students Miran Heather, Asif Tanha and Safura Zargar. The charge sheet essentially states that the February violence had been a part of a larger conspiracy to defame the Modi government. The state government needs to grant sanctions to the police to prosecute any accused under Section 196 of the Criminal Procedure Code, which is related to offences against the state. A senior official of the Delhi police said, and I quote, A month ago, we applied for the sanctions against Faizan Khan, Umar Khalid and Sharjil Imam, all booked under the UAPA. The Ministry of Home Affairs and the Delhi government approved these two weeks ago, unquote. Faizan Khan, accused of providing a SIM card on a fake ID to Asif Tanha and activating it, was granted bail by the court on October 24th. Many of you who follow News Laundry might be aware that our reporters Ayush and Basant have been closely following the Northeast Delhi riots and how the police are investigating the violence that killed many people, a majority of them being Muslims. Both of them have filed multiple reports for our Deep Dive News Laundry Sena series, which is an initiative by News Laundry that allows readers to fund the stories that they want to hear. Through their reports on the investigation into the murders of Maruf Ali and Shahid Alam, we have seen how the Delhi police's investigation is majorly botched. Fake eyewitness statements, Muslims being arrested for murdering Muslims in what was clearly a communal riot, these are only the tip of the iceberg. In case you've not read their reports, I urge you to do so right away. You'll find all their reports on our website, newslaundry.com. And if you know about the multiple cases of attack on caravan journalists while they were reporting from Northeast Delhi, I'm sure you'll realize the risk our reporters take each time they go to cover these stories. So if you think they deserve your support, do read their reports, share them on your social media handles, and make your friends and family members read them too. And also, please subscribe to News Laundry so we can keep showing you the complete picture, something that a lot of our legacy media houses will not do. And you know why? Because they are dependent on advertisers and sponsors, which very often happens to be the government themselves. News Laundry, on the other hand, is 100% free of advertisements for this very reason. So go to our website and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. The Punjab government yesterday slammed the Indian Railways for claiming that its operations continue to be stalled by blockades in at least 22 locations by protesters. The Farmers' Union have said that they have vacated all tracks and platforms. However, the railways still haven't restarted the operations of goods trains to Punjab. Talking about the issue, the Chief Minister of Punjab, Captain Amrinder Singh, said, and I quote, The decision of railways is obstructing movement of essential supplies not just in Punjab, which has run out of coal and power, and storage of food grains and fertilizers, but also to other states, including the armed forces in Ladakh and Kashmir. Unquote. The state government has alleged that the centre has instituted a rail blockade against the state. 
Punjab officials have said that the suspension, which was unprecedented in length and scale, had hit the state hard, with the hosiery industry alone having suffered losses amounting to 8,500 crore rupees. They said that the state was short of power, fertilizers, raw material and even gunny bags for paddy procurement. This has been on top of the halt in movement of food grains and cotton to other states. The exchange escalated as the railways alleged that unions had been disrupting services while the unions rejected the claims and said that they had been letting the operations run smoothly. State officials have said that due to the railway's blockade, there was also a shortage of power as coal was not coming in and the power corporation of the state had to start imposing power cuts. In addition, the cotton industry of the state also faced a blow as 1.5 lakh bundles of cotton for other states were also stuck and go-downs had been overflowing. Farmers in the state of Punjab have been protesting against the Union Government's Farm Acts passed in September, which seek to open the Indian agriculture to the free market. The farmers are of the fear that this will mean a withdrawal of the minimum support price or MSP for their produce. To allay their fears and counter the centre's new laws, the Punjab Assembly passed three of its own farm laws. This received the support of both the governing and the opposition parties. In protest against the centre's new bills, Punjab's major regional party, the Shiromani Akali Dal, had walked out of the National Democratic Alliance. The Shiromani Akali Dal was considered one of BJP's oldest allies. Terming the new laws as anti-farmers and anti-Punjab, the party decided to pull out of the alliance. The farm bills that were passed hurriedly in the Union Parliament have left multiple state governments and the opposition at odds with the centre. Moreover, one of BJP's own leaders in the state of Punjab has hit out at his own party's leadership for not listening to the farmers. Surjit Kumar Jiani, a BJP member heading the panel tasked with reaching out to farmers in the state, told the Indian Express that his party had taken the wrong approach to the widespread protests. Jiani said, and I quote, For God's sake, talk to them. I pray to J.P. Nadda, Amit Shah ji and Narendra Modi ji to listen to what the farmers have to say. Unquote. The third and the final phase of polling in 78 constituencies spread across 19 districts of Bihar took place today. A voter turnout of 34.82% was recorded as of 1pm. Polling will end at 6pm. As many as 2.35 crore voters were eligible to decide the political fate of over 1,200 candidates today. Despite the pandemic, Bihar saw a considerable voter turnout with Phase 1 recording 54% and Phase 2 witnessing 55.7% voter turnout. These numbers are only slightly lower compared to the last assembly elections in the state. Meanwhile, a polling station in Begusrai district today remained deserted. This came after locals decided to boycott the elections, alleging lack of development in the area. The people staged a demonstration against the incumbent government instead. In contrast, voters in Muzaffarpur wanted to exercise their right to vote to its fullest. Locals even built a temporary bridge in the area to help voters reach a polling station. Since there was no bridge to cross a water stream, the locals constructed a makeshift bridge for easy movement of voters. They said that they wanted every vote to count. In other news, political jibes between major candidates continued. Basic COVID guidelines were seen being flouted in Hadiabara and Araria, where people in voting queues did not bother to maintain social distancing, nor did they carry sanitizers or masks or gloves to the spot. Despite the state not faring so well when it comes to women's representation among the candidates contesting the current election, the total electorate of Bihar comprises almost an equal number of female and male voters.
My colleague Basant, who is in Bihar covering the elections from the ground, spoke to Bihar's women voters about how they thought the incumbent government had fared. Aarti Jha, a student preparing for a bank exam at a private coaching center in Muzaffarpur, told Basant, and I quote, Lockdown was new for you men. Women were always confined to the four walls of home. Our going out has been restricted for a long time. Look, it is not even four in the evening and I'm getting calls from my mother to come home. A lot has been said about women's empowerment during Nitish Kumar's rule, but little change is visible on the ground. Unquote. To find out what other women voters had to say, head over to newslaundry.com and read the full report titled How Does Nitish Kumar Fare with Bihar's Women Voters? This report is a part of our News Laundry Sena series, an initiative by News Laundry where people like you can fund the stories that you want to hear. Our team of talented reporters visit the area involved and bring you a series of in-depth ground reports. The Bihar election series was one such project. We have a bunch of other extensive ground reports under it. You'll find them on our website, newslaundry.com. And now for some international updates. COVID-19 has infected more than 49.4 million people around the world and killed at least 1.24 million. While the world remains focused on the outcome of the presidential election in the United States, the country has broken its own record of the highest number of daily infections with more than 121,000 new COVID cases. With the new record, hospitalizations and deaths have also seen a steady rise in the country. Close to 53,000 people were hospitalized with COVID-19 on Thursday alone. The number of COVID-related deaths too was over 1,000 for the third day in a row. In total, the United States has had more than 9.6 million cases of COVID-19 and 234,000 deaths, which is the highest in the world. Europe, meanwhile, has surged past 300,000 deaths as countries wrestle to bring the virus under control. The region has become the new epicentre of the virus, with over two-thirds of the tally coming from the UK, Italy, France, Spain and Russia. France recorded its highest one-day total since the pandemic began, with more than 60,000 new cases and 828 deaths in the last 24 hours. The country is in its second national lockdown, with restrictions expected to remain until December. Italy also recorded its highest ever total, registering more than 37,000 new cases in 24 hours. Moving on, Twitter has permanently suspended an account belonging to former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon after he suggested that Dr. Anthony Fauci and FBI Director Christopher Wray should be beheaded. His comments were made in a video posted on his Facebook, YouTube and Twitter accounts. Bannon falsely claimed that President Trump had won the re-election despite several key states still being too close to call and said that he should fire both Fauci and Ray. He then went a step further and said, and I quote, I'd put the head on pikes, right? I'd put them at the two corners of the White House as a warning to federal bureaucrats. You either get with the program or you are gone, unquote. The video was live on Bannon's Facebook page for about 10 hours on Thursday and had been viewed almost 200,000 times before Facebook removed it, citing violence and incitement policies. Steve Bannon is an American media executive, political strategist and a former investment banker. He was also the former executive chairman of Breedbot News, a far-right American media organization. Bannon also served as the White House's chief strategist during the first seven months of President Donald Trump's term. He previously also served on the board of the now-defunct data analytics firm Cambridge Analytica. 
On Friday, a high-powered attorney who was representing Bannon in a criminal fraud case had moved to withdraw from representing him and asked that the hearing scheduled for Monday in the case be postponed so Bannon can find a new lawyer. The lawyer, William Burke, a well-known Republican attorney who served in George W. Bush's administration, had represented Bannon during former special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's interference into the 2016 presidential election. Bannon retained Burke after he and three others were indicted over summer and charged with defrauding investors in a crowdfunding effort called We Build the Wall to raise money for a border wall. Before I sign off, dear listeners, I want to tell you about our new website. It has a new podcast player that you can use to access all our podcast shows. From News Laundry Hafta, Awful and Awesome to Daily Dose and Reporters Without Orders. It also includes a host of new features like download, speed control, queue and it even lets you start from where you had stopped the last time. So go to our website on your phone or on your laptop and click on the mic icon at the top right corner of the homepage and help yourself to an array of News Laundry podcasts. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 